this restaurant has my name attached to it so anything that um, comes of it reflects me so I need to I need to really reflect my personality back into it so I, I want it to look a certain way like I've designed it to be a certain thing I mean anyone who knows me personally will be able to walk into that space and sense that this has come from my brain this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Building your own restaurant from scratch is back-breaking stuff, but it's also incredibly rewarding. Throwing every part of you into your dream is not unique to just owners of restaurants and cafes. It's a trait of those that work in the hospitality sector too. What are the costs and benefits of putting all you have into your dream? Tim Scott is the owner and chef of soon-to-be-opened Exhibition Restaurant in Brisbane. Tim, how are you going? Yeah, I'm doing really well, thanks, Huck. It's good to catch up with you. You've uh, had an interesting sort of couple of years, but more recently um, the world has been privy to watching you um, build a restaurant, um, literally build the restaurant yourself. Well, what's it been like creating your own restaurant but actually doing the building as well? Um, it's been pretty good. I Well, I guess in a way the world's sort of seen that for the last two years I haven't been cooking um but i have been in the restaurant world so i've been learning how to build but in the meantime restaurants don't really just come together in a couple of months so i actually have been preparing this one for a couple of years so to be in the physical stage of building the restaurant um and very very close to the cooking stage of building a restaurant it's pretty pretty surreal for me because i've sort of been walking around in this restaurant for a couple of years in my head um, and now I can, you know, I can walk around it and there's walls that I have to avoid um, in a site that I love. So, um, yeah, it's pretty surreal because I guess I've been I've been building this one in my head for a couple of years. Well, it's been in your head for a couple of years. How, how long ago did you actually find the site and then start to realize the sort of vision that has been in your head? Uh, um, I guess this site, we first stumbled across it in August last year. We were looking at a completely different site. Um, by chance, I met a builder on site who was building a different venue at the time and he gave us a little tour around the building. I was interested in the heritage and the story of it. It used to be an old um, arts theatre and sort of a play, circus, travelling theatre, like a live performance theatre. So he showed us around and then I just was curious about what was in the basement. Um, He took us down to the subterranean floor and every other venue that I was looking at on the, at the time was off the table. It just, I immediately started asking questions about that space and I wasn't interested in anything else. And I knew that there would be a few challenges like building a restaurant underground and in such an old building. But I guess I just decided at that moment that whatever challenges that were in front of me were worth it to be able to build in that, in that site that had that history and really tying in with that art and theatre about it. Um, that that fitted what I already had envisioned for the restaurant perfectly. So I jumped on it. Tell us a bit about that history and the challenges that you've had because of the history of the building. What's it been like pulling your vision together and, and sort of dealing with that as well? Um, it's been really difficult at stages, like obviously moving into somewhere that is underground, you face, um, 
issues with sort of plumbing and exhaust and everything like that because you're always going to have gravity and water's always going to run downhill. So you've got a few challenges there. And then building into a building that's was designed in the 1800s and built in the 1800s, you've got all of these, the beautiful parts um, that can't be moved. So building around all of these low beams and uh, like the, the low concrete floor, you, you really are limited by that. But we sort of had to build up into the ceiling and below the concrete to execute exactly what we wanted in this build. It sort of had nothing in the site when we moved in. So we've had to build really everything from scratch and doing that in such an old building has so many limitations. You, you, you are not allowed legally, but also you don't want to impact any of that old brickwork or any of that timber or anything. So I'm really trying to like showpiece all of that history that the building has and it's, yeah, it's just hard to work around that. The last couple of years you've been working on this in your head and um, and also working physically on building the restaurant as well. But, you know, a couple of years ago you opened a restaurant called Joy with Sarah Reynolds and um, really took the world, the Australia by storm as one of the sort of new wave um, dining offerings. Um you, you decided to let go of that. Tell, tell us about that period of time of letting go of joy when it was so successful and, and moving on to other things. Uh, well, for me, I guess it was just like a position where I'd done the same thing. I sort of I built that restaurant. Um, we did well in our first year. It caused me so much stress. At that stage, I hadn't been a head chef or anything. So everything I learned about business, about running a kitchen, about running front of house, about almost everything to do with restaurants. It seems like I, took, I went into that with like eight years experience in restaurants and all of it was irrelevant. So I just went on this like extreme learning curve where I learned so much and I don't ever look at that like I've lost something by leaving it. I it, My sort of motto is that you either win or you learn and you only lose if you haven't come out of it with any knowledge. And to me, I've come out of that with a really, really strong grip on the food that I want to cook. I know how to run a business now, I think. Um, and like, I just really got to refine so many systems in my head that I'd never actually truly experienced. So I think that I've come out of that with an extreme amount of experience that I would not have been able to gain otherwise just running a kitchen or working for somebody else. Um, and then, yeah, obviously it was time to it was time to move on from that. So it's a tough decision, but um, I think I'm on to something that's going to be completely different and with less limitations in in a sense. Like running a restaurant of that scale, whilst you have complete autonomy and you don't rely on any staff or anything like that, I realised that. Having two staff is sometimes a setback. It means that there's certain things you can't put on the menu um, because you just simply can't get it done during service. Um, there's certain jobs that you take on that you don't really want to take on. Like I ended up managing the emails and folding linen and things like that, which are all very important jobs in a restaurant. But um, the way I like to see myself in a restaurant is that I'm a creator. So I like being able to spend a bit of time designing dishes. And when I was you know, spending 
three or four hours a week folding linen, I'm thinking, well, my customers probably don't care that I'm folding their napkins, but they could really benefit from me spending an extra four hours a week designing dishes. And whilst I made that time up somewhere, it was just coming out of my free time. So, I mean, that's all experience that I learned. I want to talk about what you're doing with Exhibition Restaurant shortly, but what was what was the real um, highlight or do you have any stories of the sort of ride that you went on with Joy in that sort of first year when it really captured everyone's attention? Yeah, I sort of didn't see outside of my own bubble. I don't know really how much attention it was getting apart from the fact that it was, um, you know, booked out every night from maybe two months in onwards, but... I guess a lot of people don't realize there was that starting curve where it did start like every other um, small business that doesn't have a name. Um, It was really quiet at the start. Um, Obviously, we had uh, had yourself in anonymously on our first night um, and your review came out in maybe two months after that and that that sort of brought a bit of attention to us nationally. Um, And then it was quite well... received uh, by media, I guess, being a new concept, we were executing it as well as we could. Um, And then a few months in, I really wasn't happy with how it was going. I'd sort of, um, I guess I would just wanted to do better. I wanted to do a lot better. And I I really beat myself up because we were were at a period where all of the reviewers had been. And I think I was only doing about you know, 40% of what I could have done. And um, I I just desperately wanted to see all of the old customers come back and I'd, I felt like I'd let them down. And then, I don't know, I guess I was just in a, in a bad place mentally where I felt like I was not working up to my own standards for a long time. Um, towards the end of the first year, we took a couple of weeks off. Um, I really came back with, you know, going out and spent, heaps of money on new plates. I'd redesigned the whole menu and things like that. And we only opened for one month before COVID hits. <laughs> that was a bit of a letdown. I'd just done so, so much work on that. But as I said before, it's um, you don't lose, you just gain experience. So all of the knowledge and things like that is just, I can take that into my own restaurant. And I guess when you look at it, um, if if you're ever really happy with your, menu from my point of view there's you're probably at a point where you're at the top of the mountain and it's only downhill from there like I'd like to think there's always room for improvement on everything so yeah whilst I'd like to be able to do everything as well as I can I know that there's always room in front of me and that that sort of hurts me mentally and I never really overcame that at Joy. You definitely have a really unique expression on the plate, but take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Um, to be honest, I don't have one of those cool stories where I was standing on a, on a, on a box stirring stirring the, uh, the bolognese with my grandma. I absolutely hated food and I thought that everything that I cooked, everything that my mum cooked was horrible and I liked eating pasta with tomato sauce on it. Um, I'd come home and I'd eat mum's Anzac biscuits with chocolate chips in them and drink heaps of milk and that was about all I wanted to eat. Uh, about the age of 17, I sort of, well, a lot of my mates were dropkicks and I realised that was going nowhere. I moved up to Brisbane 
my good friend, uh, Tom Jack, who, who runs Shoba Show now. Um, I was sleeping at his house and I got to a point where they sort of said, mate, are you even looking for a job? And I'm like, yeah, it's just really hard. Like I can't find a job. And then he was like, well, you haven't asked me yet. Um, and I was like, well, can I work with you? And then I ended up working for my best mate. Um, I hated it for the first year and then I sort of just kept pushing myself. You know, I, I worked at a pub when I first started and then I was like, this is horrible. Um, <laughs> and then I worked at a restaurant and it was like one of the best restaurants that I've ever worked at from a food point of view. It was called Citron Restaurant in uh, Wilston, which is a small suburb in Brisbane. And I think it was really underrated. Um, and then from then onwards, I sort of just, I was, you know, my whole body was immersed in it. I just wanted to do, I wanted to cook all the time. And I wanted to work at the best restaurant. I wanted to work on my days off. I wanted to do every event that I could possibly get involved in. And I was just probably that annoying guy who was just in everybody's face at like, the, you know, needs of food and wine and things like that. I was trying to be involved in whatever way that I could. Um, and then that sort of led me to, seeing a bit more of what was going on in Sydney. I came down to Sydney for a bit and then then that's back when I migrated back up to Brisbane. What's been some of the really key venues um, during your career that have sort of uh, influenced the way that you sort of want to do your own food? I guess some of the venues that have like sort of inspired me to what I want to do in terms of my own food would be more so in terms of structure, um, working at places like uh, Automata and Sepia um, and then some of the restaurants that I dined at and like Lumi, I dined there so many times when I was in Sydney. Seeing set menus, um, restaurants in Japan as well with omakase menu, um, I really saw that as like the way that food should be done from my point of view. Obviously, customers like having a bit of choice and there needs to be that area in the market. But for me personally, I look at it and I think the structure leads to a much more viable menu for a chef. So we can tailor it so that we can get the best food cost, minimal waste, less labor, um, and then the only downside really is that we have to try and hit, you know, 100% of flavor palettes. A lot of the a la carte menu, you can have 26 items on a menu and you only really have to sell 13 of them to each customer and you can have more adventurous options and less adventurous options. But for me, I guess the challenge is in that I would like to be able to hit, I would, I would try to make every dish enjoyable because I'm, you know, I'm charging the customer for every dish, but yeah, um, set menus everywhere that I've worked with a set menu. I think it's inspiring to see the confidence in the chef that they will cook all dishes that people will love. Um, I, I sort of enjoy seeing the flexibility of that when people have dietaries and things like that. Um, it's not always viable. It definitely goes against that what I was saying about labor and food costs and things like that, because when you change and go off course with a set menu, you really start dipping into that labor and food cost because everything's sort of out of the streamline. Um, but when it works well, it works so well. And I love seeing that. Um, 
and then I guess I was inspired by a lot of places that had like integrated Japanese and sort of modern Asian techniques into what what we generally cook over here as as like a modern chef. Um, that was pretty inspiring to see. I've spent a fair bit of time traveling over Southeast Asia and Japan and things like that and eating the really traditional dishes and then seeing adaptations of similar ingredients over here has been really inspiring for me. You mentioned uh, you spent time at Automata and Sepia. Do you have any stories of what it was like for you at that stage in your career in those kitchens? Uh, I was young and I just wanted to do really well. I sort of just looked at those places and they were sepia wasn't brand new but it had just released the book and somehow i had managed to not notice that it existed and then by the time i looked into it i was like well this place is just one best restaurant of the year like two years in a row which is you know sort of unheard of and the food that they were doing was didn't even nearly look like food to me so i was like i, I need to go check this place out like i I just need to see it. It's not like it doesn't it didn't even sort of resemble cooking to me, but obviously I looked into it and you know, they're using the best best ingredients. It was just completely no holds barred. I was looking at the menu and it was like abalone, caviar, bluefin tuna, you know, blackmore wagyu. Um it it just had like all of these ingredients, including like imported ingredients, like black cod and stuff. You don't see that on menus very often. And I was just like, I, I wanted to see, A, I wanted to cook with that stuff and B, I wanted to see how that could just be integrated in a menu effectively. Um, at that age, with that experience, I definitely wasn't looking at it like I need to go here and learn how to design a menu because, you know, that was completely off the spectrum. Like Martin Ben's a genius on a level that I haven't seen before. But um yeah, I guess I was just inspired by the ingredients and the techniques that they were using. A lot of a lot of um, places still can't execute the techniques just because they don't have the manpower or the equipment that was in that sort of place. Uh, there was really no holds barred when it came to when it came to fitting out that restaurant in terms of like. Um, you know, all of the cutlery, all of the plateware, all of the equipment. I, I'm, I went in there completely amazed that it was a seven-year-old kitchen and it looked brand new. And then I think I learned a lot about that place. Uh, sorry, I learned a lot from that place about professionalism, like that, what I was saying with the equipment being so flawless, like that just comes from respect, people looking after each other, people looking after the equipment. Um, yeah, that's, I took a lot from that. Um, Automata, then that place was brand new and that, you know, that was straight off the mark in the top 10 everywhere. Um, had that set menu style that I was looking at and I was really inspired by the fact that they were doing like 150 covers some nights with five, five staff. Like that's at, at that standard sort of, um, sort of unheard of. And some of the jobs were just like repetitious and I guess that to some people wouldn't be what they'd want to do but Clayton had us moving around the sections enough that nobody was really bored and he was changing the menu like two or three items every week so um, that's not easy as well trying to change items in a set menu that frequently um, 
and keep everybody happy and not throw a spanner in the works of your tight operation when you've only got sort of one chef per section. Um, I don't know what they staff with now, um, but when there was back then, it, it just ran smoothly. Like, yeah, automata is the right word for how, how that operation moves, but uh, it really just moves so seamlessly. The last two years have uh, had a different impact on on so many, but you've you've sort of been in and around the industry and working on this idea as well. What sort of impact has it had on you? Has it changed the way you see restaurants and and the way you cook? Um, for me, I don't think it's changed the way that I cook. Um, I've really always been into sort of modern Asian flavors and charcoal grilling, I guess if anyone's been looking at my social media, they would, would have just thought that I was opening a barbecue restaurant, but, um, that's, that's been me for, you know, 10 years. I've always had a, a grill of some sort on my balcony. Uh, Joy had the limitations that I could not grill anything, which was really hard. Um, and so I think this, this place that I open up next will be much more true to, um, I guess my cooking ethos, uh, where a lot of joy was more towards like my creative side. Like I had all my playlist and art and everything like that. Um, from an industry point of view, I think that, uh, COVID sort of had a good impact on the hospitality scene. I sort of saw more restaurants, being booked out, we seem to be busier than ever as an industry. Uh, but I also saw that a lot of venues sort of had the confidence, I guess, by necessity to take back their rights and sort of imply penalties on people who wouldn't come to their bookings or, you know, taking credit card details. It was sort of a bit... Brisbane was a place where not many places were taking credit card details and it was, you know, it's just very self-sacrificial to to not do that. It's sort of, it's a good thing to make a mutual agreement with your customers that, all right, we're going to order this food. It could be coming two to three months in advance. We're going to put preserves on and we're going to dry age things. It's for you. You've made a booking. All we need you to do is turn up and eat it. Like we've done a lot for you. Um, and we expect, we expect that you come to the meal that you said that you'd like to come to. Um, and if you can't, we understand it's fine. Just cancel your booking, but make sure you do that. <laughs> that's that's the way I see it. Talk to me about the creative process that you go through with food. Um, you mentioned earlier that you were only operating at about 40%. You thought after the reviewers had been in and you wanted more from yourself and you wanted more um, from the restaurant. Take us through that creative process that you go through. Um, yeah, I guess part of that was that um, – I was trying to put on an entry-level um, price. I had to build confidence in my customers. Um, I had a $75 menu and a $110 menu, and really they were like great value for money. I compromised a lot of what I would have put into a staff cost if I had any. Um, I think... Basically, what I would like to do is focus more on coming up with the best possible dish. A lot of what I did was um, just to avoid troubles. I guess I was trying to make a dish that was 
easier in prep and harder during service in case anything that I did went wrong. And um, I was sort of making dishes that I knew would like be easy to eat for the customers, um, easily approachable and things like that. I wasn't brave enough, I guess is the, is the word. I didn't, I didn't, I was worried about going down during service. I was worried about creating something that people wouldn't eat um, or wouldn't enjoy eating. And I really wanted to be able to please 100% of customers because, you know, 100% of customers are paying for 100% of the dishes. So I guess my creative process is I look at a dish, I think about where it is in the menu. Firstly, the dish before has to be a little bit lighter and the dish after has to be a little bit heavier generally, um, unless I've got some sort of, you know, palate break or a pairing that does that job or even something on the menu that does the job of refreshing the palate, I guess. Um, eatability is a big point. I need to make sure that everything can be eaten together. There's no point in having like a big garnish that can't really be eaten or, you know, like a really long piece of leek that nobody can cut because they haven't, we haven't provided them the right knife or something like that. Um, eatability is very important. And then I sort of, I get really involved in the, the architecture and visuals of a dish, like the, how it looks on a plate and the, the textural architecture, like how it's going to feel in your mouth. Are you going to get like layers of crunchy and soft together or are you going to experience it all as a certain texture? And then also how the um, temperature levels balance. Like is it going to be all cold or are we going to have a layer that goes through like, you know, maybe a warmer spoomer and then something, something room temp and just, just something hot and crunchy on top of that. Um and then, and then I started sort of start to work on the best ingredients. So I'll, I'll know this is going to be a protein and I need it to be rich because the course before is such and such. Um, and then I start working out, okay, um, maybe it needs to be beef. We need something heavy. Uh, does it need to be really fatty? Should it be, should it be soft texture or do we really want to go for like a hard crust on this? Like it, if we put a crust on it, is it going to be relevant in the end product? Um, you know, things like that. And then when I'm coming to seasoning, it's obviously taking a lot of inspiration from the Asian sort of flavor palette rather than a more European approach where it's like the salty, spicy, sour, sweet, sort of all of those. And then I'll look into the salt. Like, do, do I need to put salt on this or are we going to use like a fish sauce or a garum or um, vinegar? Like what sort of vinegar? Do we need something like it's got a bit of like woody aspect to it or do we want like a really tropical fruity vinegar, something that's going to like really brighten some other flavors in there, some really fresh flavors. If it's got some raw veg or something in there, it's sort of nice to put a fruity vinegar or something as the acid rather than maybe, a, you know, a wine vinegar. Um, and then I look at like umami layers. Do we need to, do we need to just get in there with something fermented or, could it just be a simple, like something something with a bit of Maillard and a, just a crispy aspect, like a fried thing or something like that? So I just start working out after I've built the dish what the best salty aspect is, what the best sour aspect is, what the best sweet aspect is. So it's a bit more um, in-depth than just saying, all right, salt is salt, sugar is sweet, and you know, lemons are sour and chilies are spicy. Um and I, yeah, I'll usually start that process a week or two before I want to put something on the menu just so that I can 
you know, I can I can try it and then go home and think about it because the the, um, the refined process is usually not till a week after or sometimes even once it's on the menu. The, the time that you open your the doors on exhibition restaurant is fast approaching. Uh, what, what can people expect from from the offering? Uh, really, I just want something that's immersive. Like from the from the moment you walk in the door, I really want people to realise like. This isn't just a place that you come in and we're just going to serve a meal and, and drink, you know, whatever it is, wine, cocktails, sake. I really want it to be something where it's like the food comes out on a plate that's been thoughtfully made by a person who who we can talk about. Um, it's not just about having round plates and some nice food on them. It's like this is a piece of art that we're serving the food on and we're really trying to do justice to the plate with the food. And then... The cutlery has been custom made and I really want, you know, I, I really want to make sure that the right cutlery is with the right food and the, the food that we're serving is appropriate to the cutlery that we're using. And I want to make sure that whilst they're sitting down, it's not just like a hum of background mus- music that's nice to listen to, but not really impacting. I want it to be sort of something that jumps in on the journey. Um, I want there to be visual aspects all around, like the, the kitchen's going to be very open and I want them to be able to watch something and I want there'll always be a level of um, entertainment happening in the kitchen. It's not going to be boring. I want there to be art on the walls that is inspiring. And I want every time somebody orders a drink that they can be ordering something, knowing that the parts from it, whether it's a cocktail, we're using parts from a farm that we use, or whether it's a wine, it's it's people that we back the supply of, um, you know, they're, like their product, something that we, we are proud to use, sort of they've got good ethics, they're good people, uh, people like ourselves. Um, my staff will all be, in a way, creators and artists like my chefs. Um, it's not just labour, it's they've all got an artful impact on everything and I really want all the aspects of the moving parts of a restaurant to be noticeable um, individually. So it's not, yeah, it's not just about sitting down and eating food and, drinking whatever you're drinking. It's about coming in and noticing all of these things. Like I want them all to have a bit more impact than they have on a normal restaurant because, you know, not, not all restaurants are using stock plates. Um, and that means that there's somebody out there who's spent, you know, the, the ceramicists spend a week at a time making a set of plates for us. So, and then, and then it's months before they get to us. The process is pretty huge. It's, it's not something I want to just put food on and forget about. I really want to be able to tell the story of the people who are doing it and how we met them, um, why they're here. You know, it's, it is an exhibition. It's a gallery of all of the moving parts that are in a restaurant. So we really, yeah, we really just want to elevate each part, make all of the things that would come across as 0% of a, a good restaurant and make them really shine. You throw so much of yourself into your projects like this one. What sort of impact does that have on you? Um, yeah, I'm sort of like a an all or nothing person, I guess, when it comes to anything I do. Like, I don't like to, you know, half ass have one foot in the door. It's like once I do it, it's my baby. So um, it's going to reflect like this restaurant has my name attached to it so anything that um, comes of it reflects me so I need to 
I need to really reflect my personality back into it. So I, I want it to look a certain way. Like I've designed it to be a certain thing. It's really, I mean, anyone who knows me personally will be able to walk into that space and sense that this has come from my brain. So, and, and the same with joy, like my history with like, you know, rap music and graffiti and things like that, that you could, were so present. That's, that's my personality. So um, I guess I'm conveying that to my customers and I don't know, it's really good to be able to project my brain somewhere because anyone who considers themselves artsy or creative, that's, that's a creative outlet is to, you know, put something on paper or speak something into the microphone. For me, it's making food and putting it on a plate. And when it comes to creativity for me, it's definitely not just food. That's just the part that I think I'm better at. Um, the whole place has been, is, is my creative output. So I designed the place. I'll be, I'll be dressing the place. I chose the textures and stuff for the place. So you know, it needs to really be a reflection of me because otherwise it's just one of those restaurants that people do with the, you know, it's like a stock standard restaurant. People just build restaurants that look like other restaurants that make money. So they they see something that works and then they replicate that because that's going to translate into dollars in their bank accounts. And, you know, that's just not me. I just wanted to make something that is the embodiment of what happens in my brain, I guess. You're going to see... You're going to see art everywhere. You're going to see things that inspire me. You're going to see music or hear music that inspires me and just generally feel like a vibe coming from my staff who are my friends that, you know, represent represent me um, and themselves as well. So I don't want it to be a place where my staff is just labour. Like they all have, you know, everyone who works in front of house with an interest in wine or cocktails you know, I want that projected. Like there's no point in them just being labor. It's not, it's not, that's not what it's about for me. I want to work with other artists and creators and people who are interested in their job. That's my focus. What do you love about what you do? It's the creative outlet for me. Like when I'm doing, when I'm doing something that's monotonous, um, I just can't, I can't stay focused. Like I, I, it doesn't work for me when I get in there and I cook something, especially over a counter. At first, when I cooked over a counter, it was very, very scary. It was very humbling because you'll serve something to somebody and they'll be like, that was good, but it's like I, I watched your face eating that. So I actually know whether it was good or not, um, in your opinion, whether you've said it or not. Um, but, yeah, for me, I, I like to be able to create something and then tell them the story, especially now that, I've, I've had my own restaurant, I'm making my own and I've designed the plates and I can, like I've worked with an artist and, I'm, you know, there's a story behind it all. I'm really proud of it. Like there's a set of plates that you might have seen on my Instagram that's got like uh, sort of calligraphy around it. I started designing those, you know, uh, over a year ago and I had to get that design. It was done by a friend, Rob. It was like sort of graphic designed by a friend, Amy. And then it was um, sent away to the States to get put onto stencils. And then another friend, uh, Sasha's made the plates and now they've, now they've come back to me like over a year later. Like that's just, that's to me, that's what it's all about. It's more than just 
walking into the shop and saying, that plate's sick. Because if I've done that, everybody else who's ever walked into that shop or can walk into that shop has the ability to have that same piece of art in their business. And an exhibition is about having something unique and presenting something unique. Well, Tim, it's amazing to catch up with you and I can't wait to see the creation of exhibition and, and experience it. We've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear just a little bit of your story. Good luck and uh, keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. Awesome, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.